Would you open God's precious holy word to Galatians chapter 6. We're going to finish Galatians today. And I call this message and bring a quote from the text. I boast only in the cross. So don't trouble me anymore. A quote from the Apostle Paul. I hope if you've learned nothing else that you've learned that the real gospel, the only gospel, the true gospel is simply this. We are justified by grace through faith in Christ plus nothing. Only Christ can save us. There is not one iota of anything within me, not a behavior, not a reaction, not anything. Nothing within me can contribute to my salvation. Christ did it all. That's why Paul says, I don't boast in anything else but the cross of Jesus Christ. And my, my thing has gone dead here. But there ain't that many, so I'll just tell you when to go next, all right? So we're going to start in verse 11, finish it out. And I want us to draw 10 thoughts for ourselves and apply to our lives from this passage, verses 11 through 18. Paul is coming in for a landing here. He's concluding his letter to the Galatians. And he says, see how in large letters I have written to you with my own hand. It was ex expected and it was the practice of Paul generally that someone of, of rank and importance when writing a letter would write through a scribe, a scribe who was a professional uh, person to write, someone who would write the letters and block them off in a beautiful fashion. Paul, however, says, you know, I bypassed that. This is such an important thing that I need to write to you because somebody in Galatia has come in and is pilfering with the gospel. They're adding something to the gospel. They're playing around with the gospel. That's a terrible thing. A terrible thing in the case of Galatia. Remember, it was the Judaizers who followed Paul into Galatia and into other places and followed up the message of grace with a message of grace plus works. That's a terrible thing. It's a damnable thing. You can't be saved by anything that you do yourself before coming to Christ, when coming to Christ, after coming to Christ. You can't do anything to save yourself. You can't do anything to prepare for your salvation. <laughs> the best preparation is what you already are, namely a sinner. You can't do anything to keep yourself saved. We are in Christ. We live by faith and we trust him. 
And he deposits his spirit, his Holy Spirit in our lives. And we grow in obedience and we grow in maturity, especially by reading and studying the word of God because we are called disciples in the New Testament. We're learners. It's a lifelong process. And the Lord takes us along. And we depend on the Lord, never depend on ourselves. And we, we can have all kinds of fancy thoughts and, and ideas that would be important to our salvation. But the best thing to do is to rest in our Sabbath, rest on our Sabbath, who we are told in the New Testament is Jesus Christ. We repose in him. And he assumes the responsibility of strengthening us in his spirit and guiding us and disciplining us when we need to be disciplined. And we learn from those experiences. But we are in Christ and in no way are we in ourselves. This is an important letter. Paul says, I, I, forget the professionalism. I want you to know from my own hand the danger you're in when you play around with the simple, beautiful, true gospel of Christ. You come to Christ. You don't come to a church. You don't come to a ritual. You don't even come to an ordinance. You come to Christ. Some of those things can be important to you, but they are not essential for salvation. You come to Christ. So Paul says, I've written to you in my own hand. And you can imagine how awful the thing must have looked, you know. Paul said early in Galatians, and I'm sure you've committed to memory every sermon in this series, how he was thankful that the Galatians didn't mistreat him because of his condition. There have been a lot of, a lot of uh, thoughts on that. History tells us there was a certain condition that was prevalent in that early world and has pretty much been wiped out. But back then, uh, it was accompanied with seizures from time to time, and it affected eyesight. Because Paul said to the Galatians, you people would have given me your eyes if you could have. That's how much you loved me. So he, he obviously had poor eyesight, and he was writing with his own hand, but they knew what he was writing so Paul said, even though I'm, I write terribly, and even though it makes me look like a buffoon, it makes me look like a second grade kid, I don't care. The importance of this message is something that I have to directly relate to you in my own hand. So again, we are reminded at the close of Galatians, the great importance for us as Christians of the message that is delivered to the Galatians. I would remind you that when we started this series that I told you it was Paul's letter to the Galatians that gripped the heart of Martin Luther. It was this letter to the Galatians that moved him to write his theses it was back in those days of the Reformation, it was, it was this that, that, real, that awakened the church that had grown, that had fallen asleep in darkness, really, ruled by the Roman church in a day 
When people couldn't read, they were discouraged from, they were even killed for reading, learning how to read. And how then with that absolute power over people, um, ecumenically or however you want to call it, people stayed in fear, remained in fear of the church of that day. And the Holy Spirit of God in the due course of time used this letter to the Galatians to awaken such a man as Martin Luther. And then, of course, the Reformation of the church, a new golden age. So the first thing, how important this teaching of Galatians is for us. To be reminded, there is nothing in me that can save me. There is not one mode of behavior. There is not a step I can take. There is not a conduct that I can perform. There is nothing I can do. Not a work. Not a single work. I am collapsed as a lost and undone sinner. Hopeless except for the grace of God which intervenes in my life and God who graciously calls me out of darkness and into light and causes me to be born again, brings me to Christ, the Christ of the cross. Not the cross plus something else, but the Christ of the cross, period. That's an important thing. We're, listen, we're justified by grace through faith in Christ plus nothing. The great message to the Galatians, second thing. As many as wish to make a good display, these compel you to be circumcised. Now he's referencing the Judaizers. They weren't concerned about the souls of the Galatians. They were concerned of how good they looked back in Jerusalem. They proceeded forth from the sect of the Pharisees and how things looked was more important to them than true spiritual affairs. So he says here, they just want to make a good display and therefore they're compelling you to be circumcised and to come in and, and be a, be, be, enter into Judaism, making that a prerequisite for being a Christian. You have to be a Jew before you can be a Christian. Well, of course, that was, this is, this is to a church where the members, most of the people were mostly uh, Gentiles and they were confused and they were upset. And, you know, it's easy. It's easy for a very persuasive and, and uh, powerful person, uh, a charlatan, to come in and scare people who are spiritually sensitive. Oh, I want to be sure I'm saved. I want to be sure I've done the right thing, prayed the right prayer, went the right way, made sure the water was the right temperature and the right depth, and I dipped in the right way and came out the right way and, and took the juice the right way and took the bread the right way and attended this and did that and signed my name to this and refused to go there and went here. People can be very spiritually ultra-sensitive. And it's, it's, it's always been easy to convince people like that, that even though they've been saved, you need to be saved again. Oh, listen, you didn't do it right. 
Did you do it this way? Did you do it that way? This is what the Judaizers were doing. And here's the deal. Relax. Relax in Christ. Christ did it all. It's not something that you can do in preparation or add to it or whatever. It's Christ. They did what they did so that it could be a display. So that they could show others how powerful they were as Jews. Third thing you take away from this. So that they might not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. Now let me stop there. It is written in another part of the New Testament that the cross of Christ is an offense to the Jews. And to the Greeks, it is foolishness. Now think about it. But for the power of God that draws us to the, to the Christ on the cross. But for grace. But for the divine intervention of God that is all of God and none of me. If it was up to me, I would rationalize the cross away. Okay, so here you have a guy. He's kind of a, he, he's, he's kind of a rebel in his day. And, and he doesn't fit in with the Jews, his own people. He doesn't certainly fit in with the Romans. And he gets a, he gets a following of people and they see that he's cool. And finally they catch up to him. Oh, listen, the man will catch up to you if he's after you. You can't run from the man. The system. So they caught up to him, put him on the cross, and that was it. Then his people that followed him didn't want it to die, so they made up a story about all this, you know. Easy to look, think of it. Here's a guy who, who broke the law and, and broke, according to the Jews, broke the Jewish law, which he didn't. Broke the Roman law, which he really didn't. And then conjured up and conspired against him. You may not believe this, but people who are in power in order to maintain power, now you may not believe this, in order to maintain that power, we'll make up things. Now you may not believe that because we live in such a perfect world. But the demon of power is stronger than the demon of sex or money or anything else. Power, if you have the power, you can get the money anytime you want to or anything else that you want, you can get it. If you have the power. So there are all these, you know, all this stuff that goes on. So, you know, here, you, okay, he died. And according to that story, he gets up from being dead for a long time. He gets up and then he floats up into heaven. And he promises to come back again on a white horse with a bunch of people with him. You know, that, how rational is that? Apart from the Holy Spirit of God. It's a divine thing to believe in the Christ of God, to receive, uh, to, to receive, to, to have the Holy Spirit, Spirit bear witness to your spirit. I've told you many times, the Bible is meaningless to an unbeliever. It's nothing. He doesn't get anything out of it because he's not spiritually alive. He's dead. But the Bible is alive. You remember what? The, the, the apostle wrote to the Hebrews. It's a living thing. And it's a two-edged sword. And it divides the soul from the spirit. And we need that. Because the two are so close. 
and intertwined. And we need the division that only the Word of God can give in our lives. And it speaks to us. And it gives us peace. And it helps us to grow. And it helps us to be responsible in life and to deal with life in ways that other people cannot deal. Well, to the Greek, to the Gentile, the cross of Christ was idiocy. Because when you get into it, you'll find out that this is, this is the Son of God who had all of heaven's power. Legions of angels he could have called. And one angel, you may remember, killed 185,000 in an army that came from Assyria. Just one angel. 12 legions, 72,000, that's a lot of power. Could have done anything. He walked on water. He healed the sick, raised the dead, calmed the storm, revealed his glory on transfiguration. For those who followed him, there was no doubt who he was. But the Greeks say, well, that's idiocy to say that a person would volunt- with all of that power would voluntarily submit to the horrible death of the cross. Well, if you think the cross is foolishness, you just are too far away from the message and what it means. And the Jews withdrew in horror that anybody would put forth the idea that their Messiah was conquered by Rome so badly that they tore his body apart and then nailed him to the cross as a criminal. Oh, that was an offense, a stumbling block. To the Jews. So, why did they come in and follow Paul's message of grace? So that they might not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For not even those being circumcised keep the law themselves, but they desire you to be circumcised. Why? So that you may, number four, so that you may boast in your flesh. Even the circumcised cannot keep the law. Here's, here's the truth of the Bible. You cannot perfectly, absolutely obey the law. It's impossible. I don't want to plan my sins, but I'll probably break the law in some way today, tomorrow. Either overtly, covertly, with an act or with a thought. I can't stand here and tell you that in all of my life that, I may, that there may have been a time where I put something ahead of God. I can't stand here and tell you that in all of my life I've never disobeyed my parents. That I've never borne false witness against somebody. Never coveted something that somebody wanted. Because I'm having to go all the way back into childhood you see. Until now, and the Bible says if you break it once, you've broken it. You're guilty. You're a dead man. You're dead. The guilt, the guilt of sin and the penalty of sin is death. So you see, here's why Paul says those guys can't keep the law. None of them. They were boastful and arrogant. That goes against the law of God itself. Put on a show. They wore those things on their garments, you know, the phylacteries, all that stuff they wore. 
to impress people so that people would bow and get out of the way when they walked around. Even the circumcised can't keep the law, but they desire you to be circumcised. Why? So that they can boast in your flesh. It's kind of like what I call a numbers guy. He's, he's, he's more interested in counting your body in attendance than he is whether or not you truly receive something meaningful from the word of God. Okay, so give me the next one. Number five. However, and this is probably the centerpiece of the whole message. May it never be for me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. To boast of how much better I am than someone else. To proclaim self-righteousness. To boast that I was so lost in sin, God really got a good one when he got me and he had to work hard and all. That's crazy. If anybody could boast, and Paul says this in another letter, it was him. He, was all, he had all kinds of ranks and titles and he could claim behaviors and all this stuff, a Pharisee of Pharisees. But Paul now is an apostle of Christ. May it never be. That is the strongest statement for something like that in the Koine Greek. May genoito. May it never be for me to boast. Paul himself shrinks in horror to think that he would ever Brag on himself in any way and in anything that he had in Christ. You have nothing. Okay. You do a good work. It affects a lot of people in a positive way. And you do it in the name of Christ. It is Christ in you who does the work. It isn't you or me. Or, it is Christ. He puts us together because he gives us various gifts and personal resources and, and, and so forth. And, and he works us together as a body of Christ and he's doing the work. I can't boast in that I was so good. Christ had to save me. Even Paul came to that knowledge on the road to Damascus. I can't boast in anything about myself only one thing may I boast about the cross of Jesus Christ. The cross, Christ on the cross is everything. It tells me that I'm unworthy. It tells me that I cannot save myself. 
It tells me there is no work sufficient for me to come and to be saved. It tells me that I'm deserving of the worst kind of death. I'm deserving of hell itself because the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, of course, is where God the Son was destined to hang as a curse on the tree, according to the prophet. My daddy used to preach and he talked about, he preached on the cross and the resurrection. And one of his many sayings was that God the Father bankrupted heaven to send God the Son. And if you were the only one, he sent him for you. We've been studying in the Revelation this beautiful glory. We've come to the Revelation 22, which is the end of the book. And we've had this description of the new Jerusalem, the glory, the sparkling beauty of it all. The water is liquid crystal. The walls are diamond. The foundations are precious stones. The street itself is an incandescent gold. The Bible says there's no need for the sun or the moon. There's no need for a lamp in that place because God and the Lamb are the light thereof. Here's the point. Christ in his prayer of John 17 said to the Father just before he goes to the cross, Restore to me the glory that was mine before the world ever was when all of this is done. There is a glory that is peculiar to the Son of God that can light the universe itself in the new heaven and the new earth. The power of such glory. Paul writes to the Philippians and he said, Christ laid that glory aside Voluntarily, thinking that his position in deity was not something that he would hold on to at all costs, but he laid it aside, became a man, and died an ignominious death, even the death of the cross. That's what he did. His glory in his time on earth had been laid aside. There was glory, but it was not embodied by the Son of God. He laid that aside so that he could become a man and die on the cross for his own. The covenant that the Father had made with the Son from before the foundation of the world those whom the Father had given to the Son would then, even though sin introduced itself into the creation, even those 
who belonged to the Lord would be redeemed. And he would not lose one, not a single one, John 6. All that the Father gives me will come to me. Now here's, here's the deal. How could I boast of anything about my salvation outside of the cross of Christ? How could I personally boast of anything when I realized that my salvation was an arrangement that was made between the Father and the Son before there was even a universe? I can't. I, Paul comes to, to say it. I cannot boast of anything in my life. Nothing. I serve Christ. Christ does the work. Someday, he gives rewards at the judgment seat. I must cast the reward, reward back to him. I must give it back because it is him, not me. I can't boast in anything except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Recognizing my helplessness, God by grace intervenes in my life. Why me? I don't know. Intervenes in my life. Extends to me an irrevocable, a, a call that I cannot resist. Convicts me of sin. Having awakened me out of the deadness of my sin, awakens me to the reality of my sin and my lost condition and draws me by faith in Christ to Christ. He gives me the gift of faith. He draws me to Christ Christ fills me with his spirit and I begin walking this path as a Christian. Everything that was bad about me and there's so much and there's, there's more to come, I'm sure. Christ took it upon himself and it was put away on the cross. All of my nastiness and filth and sin Guilt. He was punished in my behalf. Carried it, put it away in the tomb. And in his resurrection, I'm resurrected. And it'll work itself out. According to the calendar of God. So. Here's where I boast. In the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. He died to save me. He lives to keep me saved. And he is coming again for me. He's my great high priest in heaven. Yes, charges are made and brought against me. Well-deserving charges. But I have a lawyer. I have a, I have a high priest. And he intercedes for me. And he's seated at the right hand of the Father. And that he would bear the marks of the cross is proof that I'm covered with his righteousness because he took away my sin. How can I boast in anything except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ? Thought number six through which the world has been crucified to me. 
the world system. Whoever wins the election in November will probably cause suicides on the other side. But you know what? I mean, I got a guy I'm going to vote for. But the world system is nothing to me. It is headed to a crash and a fall. I think very soon, but that's up to the Lord. Because all of that stuff has been crucified to me. The world has been crucified to me. It's dead to me. I am a citizen of a kingdom that is yet to come. Now I have a king who is a king above all kings. My Lord, who is the Lord above all lords. This world is dead to me. I don't count on this world to give me the blessings that I so desperately need. Only Christ can do that. So, thought number six, the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ through which the world has been crucified to me. And thought number seven, and I have been crucified to the world. I have, my repose is in Christ. I have peace with God because Christ has settled the issues for me. I don't know what tomorrow brings or the next day or the next month. I don't know what I will be tempted with, what will be thrown my way. Christ is already there taking care of it for me. My rest is in Christ. I am in Christ. I will read his word. And every time I read it, it may be for the 300th time that I've read that passage, but it always says something new to me because it's alive. The word lives and it bears witness with my spirit and teaches me things. I'm crucified to the world and I come to realize that I really don't care what people think of how I dress. I hope I'm clean. I do take a bath. I have that interest. Maybe that's not too worldly. I haven't quite advanced to the rank of eating locusts yet. And I probably could do a little better on that. But I don't worry about the works. Am I doing enough stuff? Did I do the right thing? I'm in Christ. The frustration of self-works and self-righteousness, that's been crucified. I've been crucified to the world. Those things don't mean anything to me anymore because I'm in Christ. Christ helps me. He provides for me in every way. Gives me just what I need. What more could I ask for? Thought number eight. For neither circumcision nor uncircumcision is anything but a new creation. 
what you do, what you don't do, thoughts that you have, I got to do this, I better not do that, thoughts that you have, those don't mean anything. What means something is to be a new creation in Christ, to be born again. That's a divine thing. That's a God thing. God does that. I can't birth myself spiritually. God has to do it. And so what does God do? He awakens me to my sin. If I'm dead, if I'm dead in sin, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to think that I'm a pretty good guy, you know. After all, I did say I take a bath, right? I do other things, you know. Well, that, that's nothing. But when God awakens me to my sinful condition and makes me realize there is nothing I can do to save myself, that I am unclean, I'm filthy as rags in the sight of God without Christ. When God awakens me to that and draws me to Christ, I'm born again. Jesus said, you must be born again. Unregenerate people will not enter into the kingdom of God. You must be born again. God does that by drawing us to Christ, saving us in Christ. That's what matters, being a new creation. If you're a new creation in Christ, Christ does everything that's necessary. Just believe in him. Have faith in him. Be obedient to him. Follow his word. Be a disciple. Stay close. Understand that it's a very intimate relationship. The saved with his Savior. The only thing that matters is not what you do, not what you don't do, but that you're a new creation in Christ because Christ takes care of everything. Okay, give me the last one. Fault number nine. And as many as who will walk by this rule or this principle, uh, Kamoni, principle, rule, peace be upon them. What rule? The cross of Christ. We boast only in the cross of Christ. Only Christ. In the case of the Galatians, not Jewish ritual, not, not circumcision. In the case of anybody else, not anything, any mode or active behavior that you think that you need to do. It's none of that. Walk by this principle. Peace be upon them. And mercy and upon the Israel of God. You know, in this present age, true Israel is the believing Israel. Unbelieving Israel is not true Israel. And so Paul, the Holy Spirit through Paul, adds this little extra punch. Not just the Gentiles. But the Israel of God, the Jews who are saved, they can't depend upon those rituals and all that. Christ came from, why would God send his son to do most of the work or just to live? Why would God subject his son, Jesus Christ, to all that he was subjected to in his life and then in his death? Why would he lay aside his glory why would he leave heaven to risk doing some of it or most of it, but the rest of it is up to you? Well, he wouldn't do that. Of course not. 
walk by this rule, this principle, the cross of Christ, justified by grace through faith in Christ plus nothing. You'll have peace. You'll have the mercy of God because his wrath for you was poured out on his son, Christ. And the Israel of God, upon the Israel of God. Tenth and final thought. Henceforth, leave me alone. <laughs> I like this. Uh, that's, that's a thought we all can have. We can take that and say, well, the Christ, the, the Christ said, according to the preacher, he said, leave us alone. Henceforth, let no one give troubles to me. <laughs> Paul says, don't you understand the simplicity and beauty of the gospel? You're going to keep running to me with all this other crazy stuff that you've added to the gospel? It's a false gospel. If you add to it, it's false. So I'm closing out this letter and I'm saying, don't trouble me anymore about this. The grace of God saves you and not anything that you can do. God the Son on the cross provided everything that you need. Have faith in Him. Let no one give troubles to me, for I bear the marks of Jesus on my body. Now, in Lystra, in Lystra, in the region of Galatia, Paul was stoned. I bet that hurt. They left him for dead. They did a pretty good job. They knew, the Jews, they knew how to stone people. Beyond that, of course, he was shipwrecked and he was whipped and in prison and all this other stuff. Don't tell me that I don't know what I'm talking about. Because when they became angry with the gospel, since Jesus wasn't there, they came after me. And if this wasn't the true gospel, do you think that I would have suffered through it? Subjected myself to that? Let no one give troubles to me, for I bear the marks of Jesus on my body. End of the letter. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and He came into this world to save sinners. If you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that God has raised Him from the dead, if you'll admit that you're a sinner, believe in Jesus as the only Savior, confessing your sin, call on Him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I'm about to pray the benediction, but first here's the appeal. We have deacons and their wives waiting in rooms as you exit just across the hall. You'll see them. And they're waiting there to speak with you in any way that you need to speak to them about and pray with you. Because you need to leave here understanding your three great needs. Number one is to be saved. Only God can save you. 
And only you can know whether or not God is calling you into his salvation. Number two, you need to be obedient to baptism. It doesn't save you, but it sure is a wonderful testimony. And it is a command of Christ. Number three, you need to be a part of a local body of believers who fellowship together, who have like faith and doctrine and stand on the blessed, holy, inerrant, perfect word of God together. And we help one another. We're accountable to one another. We love one another. If you need to be saved, God will reveal that to you. If you've been saved, but you need to follow the Lord in baptism or... All of the above has been taken care of, but you want to be a part of a local body of believers who are true disciples of Christ. Then we can, we can pray with you about that and take care of any of your questions that even settle it for you. So on your way out, you'll see the deacons and their wives. You just step in there and say, you know, I, I've never been baptized or I'd kind of like to join this church. They'll, 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 they'll handle it for you. So let's pray together. Father God in heaven, thank you for the day. For the blessings that are ours in Christ. For the wonderful message of grace. That we are saved in Christ and only Christ can save us. There's nothing we can do to save ourselves. Thank you for relieving us from that. So Father, I pray now as we are dismissed here that you will dismiss us in your love and care. In Jesus name. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being here today.